Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Progeny Podcast. Today's guest is Sayyid Hassanain. Born and raised in East London, a former banking and corporate professional with 15 years experience. Hassanain started working with young people after heading up at an intervention program in 2012. It was the beginning of a new life, a new journey, in which giving back was very important to him and he hasn't looked back since then. Sayyid Hassanain, Assalamu Alaikum, welcome to The Progeny. Welcome, Assalamu thank you for the invitation. It's an honor to have you here. Some people know you from previous shows or previous um, documentaries you've been on, but inshallah today we'll give them a different perspective about you. Inshallah. And inshallah it's beneficial for our listeners, our viewers, and especially the, long, uh, the young uh, generation who I know you work very hard with. Um, I want to start by asking about your upbringing. East London, yes. that must have been interesting. Yeah, East London. Uh, for those who've born and bred there, I think one of the most embarrassing moments is when they say, "Oh, so there's that music group called E17," <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it's not something that I, I would say uh, I proudly go around announcing. Okay. But yeah, they, they were from that area, and uh, you know, let's not talk about them that much <laughs> where they've ended up in life. But yeah, um, you know, I was. I was very lucky growing up in East London because we had a very diverse kind of community and um, we never had a kind of problem to sort of grow our identity, so to speak. Um, I, just as I got older, you, uh, I, I mean, I do remember some stories when my, when my mother used to say that back in the day, my, my father was a bus driver. And so obviously any family members would get free you know, travel. And uh, she said that at times she would try and take us on the bus and there would be some people who would throw some items at her. Wow. And, and I found that really a bit strange, to be honest, because as I was growing up, I never had that problem. But they, those were the first generation that, that came mm. and some of the struggles they had to actually have a part in community and in society. And they kind of took a lot of brunt to give us a slightly better life, I suppose. And so, yeah, um, I never had those kind of problems that my parents had. And um, You must have faced some discrimination or you, you know, to, No, funnily enough, I, I, I was one of those maybe lucky ones who hadn't. I mean, th there was other issues, bullying and, you know, being overweight and being called certain things. But with regards to any sort of like, you know, social issues and just your identity, I was... I was very lucky and so uh, yeah uh, to still be there is uh, amazing uh, in some ways in other ways it would be like maybe you should travel a little bit more and go and see other parts of the world <laughs> but yeah very uh, I'm very proud of where I'm from and uh, you know representing East London you you started you know your professional career in banking very corporate uh, and then all of a sudden you, you you take a totally different direction why was that, you know? Yeah, so um, going into the corporate world was uh, very important at the time because it was about trying to, sh well, in, in my family household, it was all, being the oldest, I, I was always trying to prove to my father that I could, you know, be working for a, a big organisation, representing a big brand, and, you know, uh, in the 80s, 90s, if you worked for a bank, you know, you seemed to be like a very important person. 
Uh, funny enough, my I used to work in Canary Wharf and my father used to like tell people that, oh, if you've got any problem at HSBC, go to your local branch and my, my <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not. My son, <laughs> and my son's there, he's going to sort it out. You know, he knows people and he's going to- You and, need a loan, he'll yeah, sort it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, anything, literally, like I'd get phone calls. And Mortgage. I'm, yeah, yeah, and like my dad's like, yeah, I've said something. I'm like, dad, I don't, I don't work <laughs> but you, you know, in a way, even though he would never openly say to me that Hasnan, I'm proud of you, it was his way of kind of showing off, because he felt, and it was those kind of moments that I used to hold on to, think, oh, you know what, my dad's actually quite happy with me, even though he wasn't one of those fathers who'd say, son, you know, well done, uh, I'm proud of you, give me a hug, and so I would hold on to those moments to feel like, okay, so you know, I worked in the in the bank for over a decade, and. Um, it, it, it changed me in some ways from how I was growing up. And uh, I was very, very arrogant. Um, I would always be only talk to people if I thought that I could benefit financially. And uh, I would look down at people. Uh, you, what your job title was, was important. What you drove, you know, all these kind of, I suppose at the time, materialistic things that you think shows that you're a bigger, more important person than somebody else. And um, your question of what, what changed was, uh, I just uh, uh, went through some personal challenges in life. And after having the experience of losing uh, a child at the time, I really had to start reflect upon that there's more to life than just thinking that it's about you, it's about making money and... I suppose uh, trying to give back. Your struggle with losing a child, if we can, before we move on, you know, touch on that. Um, without going into too much details or sure. however much details you'd like to go into, how how did this happen and, and how did you deal with it at the time? Yeah, so uh, look, I got married in... Um, October 2011 and uh, I remember I was working for the bank and we had that unfortunate incident of 9-11 a month before mm. and I, w I remember I was in the bank and we were looking at the screens and what we saw was just you kind of thought like you're watching a movie it's it's not real and uh, I was getting uh, prepared to go to Pakistan to get to get, to get married and everyone in the bank was like Hasnan it's it was really nice knowing you <laughs> You are mad. <laughs> like, literally, <laughs> this is the worst time you could travel. And you're going to get married. And I was like, come on, like, listen, it's, it's all good. But it, even I started to think, like, is this the right time to actually travel, right? So I, I flew out. And I kid you not, Mustafa, I was there for like three weeks. And all I saw in our local village were goats and cows. And there was no issue. There was <laughs> no problem. And I was getting, you know, at the time we used to have blackberries. We, I think we were one of the first corporate organizations to have blackberries. And we used mm. to call them crackberries because at the end you realize that they've got you sucked into the system yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you never put it down, right? You're always doing emails till midnight and then the bank thought, yeah, this is great. We've got these guys working overtime. And uh, I was getting messages on the blackberry saying like, uh, you're right, mate. Uh, like, you still alive? And like, you know, was, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm just seeing like animals here. Like, <laughs> I'm in the middle of a farm. Yeah, in the middle of a farm, literally. So, uh, and you know, um, came back to London and settled, and you know, I got busy with work and stuff, and uh, we we had our first child, and um, everything seemed fine. The the, the tests uh, we had done just generally because you know I'm related to my my wife and. Uh, 
we were born with a beautiful son, Rehan Abbas, and um, he had blue eyes. That I, th- I remember that clearly. He had light blue eyes, and me and my wife had brown eyes, and so we were like, where did this come from? Beautiful baby boy, and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's always interesting when I get asked that question because I seem to have a slightly different perspective every time because certain things come out every every time which which are different but so he, he uh, yeah he was born perfectly fine and just after about a few months he uh he started to just seem like he was developing a little bit slowly and um my, my father kind of said to me something's not right and um i i, I didn't mock my father but i kind of wanted to say to him dad he's only like two months three months he'll be fine but being my father, I thought he has obviously seen something that maybe I haven't seen. So let's just get it checked out. And we, we went we went to a clinic in <clears throat> in London, and um, um, the the consultant or the professor uh, he was doing some assessment, and uh, it was a very difficult time because I he was writing and writing, and I've I've said this before, but I was like, can you like tell me what's going on like really I need, I need to know hurry up and uh, he 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 began his speech by saying um, Mr. Said your son is not going to live for more than two years and Mustafa if, you know I, I know you have children and I pray this would not happen to anyone but mm. when you have a child who's born perfectly fine and is engaging with you and uh, till this day you have no idea we went to the local hospital and they were like, we just need to get this checked further. But even then, I, I had no impression that I'm going to be told three months down the line that your son is not going to live for more than two years. I thought there could be some <clears throat> disability. I thought there could be something that is going to delay his growth. But I did not see this phrase coming out of this professor. And I, I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you know, he's he's going to struggle, and if if he was to live, it's going to be in conditions that are going to be extremely challenging. And um, and I I kind of froze, but I I realized Mustafa at that time, and that was the defining moment in my life. It was the moment that I I don't know where it came from. Uh, I was like, I just need to prioritize my son's health and as difficult as it will be for him I want it to be as comfortable as I can make it and so anything else in my life just didn't matter going forward and so my my priorities changed and um, you know to cut the story short he was in and out of hospital and then eventually the last six months they said uh, you need to take him home because he's comfortable at home. He He's aware of those surroundings and he will enjoy the time there. And my room became like a, a hospital room. And even though I knew what the outcome was going to be, at the moment I was just trying every single moment to just try and make his life as easy as possible. And Mustafa, can you prepare for your own death, let alone your child's? No. There's, you know, when it happens, it happens. And um, 
Rehan had spent nearly another four months uh, at home and uh, he, he used to sleep in our bed and the next morning he peacefully passed away. And um, I remember his jaw was open. And before the consult or the doctors were coming to, to verify, I was trying, because to see anyone pass away with their jaw open is not an, a nice image. And I remember trying to close his mouth. And it was so hard to lock his jaw that I felt like I was worried I'm going to break his jaw. So imagine my son had passed away and I'm trying to give the appearance that he's peacefully rather than the jaw open. And I still remember the amount of strength I had to do just to close his mouth. It's very difficult, as you mentioned, to prepare anyone for death, let alone your son, let alone at such a young age, let alone when you thought, you know, everything is fine. And again, I, I, it's very difficult. I won't understand the pain that you went through, but it's 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 amazing that you've said, you said, you know, when when this happened you changed your whole priority you know you changed everything about about your life and i think allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his wisdom tested your patience and i always say if you go through a certain struggle a certain test allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen you hasanin because he knows you can handle it whereas maybe if he has chosen someone else they wouldn't be able to handle such a test and because of your faith he chose you how, how was your faith um, tested then was it something that you know supported you through this test of Allah you know where does where's the relationship with your faith come come to here yeah Mustafa it's a good question um, because uh, I remember as I was growing up my 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 father being the oldest in his family, so he was very much like a dictator, telling his brothers and sisters what to do, you know, supporting them. And then I was the oldest in my family, and uh, he was very strict. When I say strict, meaning the sense where other maybe, you know, firstborn son, go do what you want, come out, you know, come home to in the morning. No, like I remember um, curfew. Yeah, real curfew. I'll tell you how much. Um, there used to be the nine o'clock news for those who are old enough. And <laughs> my father would say to me that you would have to be in bed for 8.30. And the only condition you can go to bed at 9.30 is if you watch the nine o'clock news. <laughs> and so what did I do as a young child? I was like, I'll watch the news, I'll right? The news. And at first it was like, whatever. But now the love for current affairs is huge for me because, <laughs> because of the news. <laughs> because of the news. And um, on the odd occasion when I could go out, he'd always say to me that, you know, I don't know where you're going. You might tell me you're going here, but you're going somewhere else. And I can't see you. But one person who can constantly see you is God. And at the time, I'm like, yeah, dad, whatever. I, you know, yeah, yeah, just go and do your thing. Be a bit of a rebel, you know, being the oldest. I didn't have anyone to guide me, tell me. I did mm. a lot of trial and error in my life. But that stayed with me, Mustafa. That stayed me with me to the extent that when it came to managing my son and everything else wasn't as important, I kind of just 
said, God, I leave it in your hands. I know you're watching because dad always used to say, you're always watching. Mm. And whatever comes of this and however it comes, just give me the strength to deal with it. So you say about patience. Yes, you're absolutely right. And the other thing I say is persistence. You have to keep pushing, pushing towards the direction that pleases God, but also pleases humanity. How would you describe the few months after the passing away of Rehan Abbas? How, you know, what, what were your daily activities? We, we, I'm guessing you, you were still working? Or? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was very fortunate in the bank uh, where they were very supportive. Uh, wi- with uh, Rehan, they kind of said, look, you know, you, you come back when you need to come back. And even prior to him sort of passing away, I was off for a few months. And so, you know, credit to the organization, they were very, very supportive. And at first I was, so those few months was a bit of a blur. Mm. I really wasn't sure where my direction was. Uh, I was trying to see how everyone else uh, was in my family and how they're coping. I think my wife went into a, a bit of a shell. And I thought, you know what? I need a distraction. So maybe going back to work wasn't the right solution, but I didn't kind of know anything else. And so after a few months, I, I just went back into work. But I was lucky because I'd kind of moved around in the organization. And at the time, they were launching Islamic finance. And um, I, I was very fortunate to have an incredible boss and he kind of also was having his own challenge in his life. And so maybe there was a, a, a good understanding of where we both were. And he said, look, Hasnan, like, you know, at least work will give you some distraction. And going back into the bank, I'd slightly changed, obviously, after burying my son, the importance of how I want to take my direction. Um, but I was also worried I might get sucked back into it because it's such a corporate animal when you work for a bank. And so, yeah, um, I, I went back into work, but a slightly more value-based area. And um, I, I was fortunate enough to kind of, you never overcome these, Mustafa, you know, you mm. know, something like if you lose a parent or you, you, you lose a partner or you lose a child, anyone, you you, you never forget about it. It stay with you. Always, right? But life doesn't stop. And so I was lucky to have a, d- a distraction, so to speak. Till, um, you know, recently, a lot of people would, for example, that I know, would go through different tests and struggles in their life. Some would share these tests and, s- and challenges with me. Um, and some, I would be able to offer some advice or, or point them towards the right direction for, for advice on how, you know, like you said, it's, it's difficult to overcome certain challenges, but at least work towards uh, gaining maybe peace, maybe gaining some sort of um, um, w- direction where, you know, at least if, if, if I don't forget, at least I can see this as a hurdle which i have now gone over what advice would you give our dear brothers and sisters our listeners and viewers with regards to 
wh- how you can deal with such challenges you know is it family support is it work what's the, what would you say you know looking back now yeah, at, at yeah. maybe at the yeah, time maybe you course. didn't think of it sure. but maybe if, if i was to ask you you looking back back at those few months or, or year or two years what do you think helped you out the mo- the most for you to be Hassanin, who you are today? Yeah, it's a deep question, Mustafa. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much time we've got. <laughs> we've got all, we've got all time, all the time you need, um, bro. I, I think the most um, important area for me at the time in my life, uh, I would have to say, is my family. I, I've mentioned it before that um, I was. Uh, <laughs> it's so bizarre because I, I, you just reminded me that I have. Uh, two sisters and one brother and I'm the oldest and my, my sister who's the next in line uh, nearly a couple year and a half younger than me um, she was the first one to get a mobile phone mm. she was the first one to get a car and I was scratching my head <laughs> <laughs> what's going on here I'm like hold on dad I'm like, have you forgotten about me <laughs> but you know I think you know having a daughter father kind of relationship yeah. now you know I have one I understand but you know I kind of felt like I was left out mm. but you know I was very lucky that, um, so firstly, m- my father would ensure that as much as we used to hate driving 400 miles to go and see a family up north, that we didn't have a choice, Mustafa. We had to go along. Mm. And at the time, it was like, man, I'm sitting in the car, you know, just baking. There's no aircon in these cars, like, you know, back in the day. And, mm. You know, uh, these cars, I think he had a Datsun <laughs> Sunny, you know. I remember the number plate, which is really sad. But yeah, you know, uh, we, we, we always did things together. And even though at the time it was a struggle, you realize further down the line how much it helped with regards to the connections and getting to know each other. So, yes, my father was strict, but now I salute him. I thank him and I'm glad that he's alive for me to thank him. You know, and obviously we know about the pandemic and that's been another challenge for so many people who've lost, especially the elderly and the parents. And Alhamdulillah, you know, I'm fortunate to still have both my parents with me and, you know, I thank him. But at the time for me and for people, it will be all different things. Yeah. But the key thing in this is that you have to have something. You can't have emptiness. You can't have... So family was very important. But for my own reflection and my conversations with God, faith was very important to me. Um, You know, am I perfect? No. Am I going to be perfect? No. But you have to strive towards perfection. Mm. And that's where I think if you're asking me what, what I would say to people listening is that you've got to have some hold of something. And generally, in my in my experience and the people that I know, people who have faith, most of the time are in a much better place in dealing with their adversities than those who don't. So I would say that, and like I said, there's no right or wrong way with, with, with dealing with your challenges because, you know, as I was walking here in the baking hot weather... <laughs> One thing that just reminded me, Mustafa, and I thought, you know, I'm going to share that. If you look, every single human being in this world has their own DNA, mm. has their own fingerprint. Mm-hmm. Like, just that thought blows my mind that you, this can't have been, you know what I mean? This has come from a, 
a, a creation of something, right? So we're all different. That's what I'm trying to say. And because we're all different, we all have different upbringings and we all have different ways of seeing things. And another thing I learned from all of this was that don't think you know someone. Don't judge anyone because we all have had different you know, ways of seeing things and growing up. So family is, is healthy. And if you have good, healthy relationships with your family, keep them because you don't know where they're going to help you. Don't take that for granted. Don't take it for granted. I used to say, "Oh my, my father. He, you know, he was from Pakistan. What does he know about things in London?" And like, I was born here. You know, I was in the bank. He was not a professional. He had a, a bus driver's job. But I've actually reached out to my father f- probably for one of the, like a few times on the most important topics because he's seen life. It doesn't matter where you are from the world, and faith. You have to have some belief. And I'm not saying that if you're listening to this, go and you know transform your life based on... No, you will realize for yourself that if you don't have anything, if you don't have a belief, and if you have a belief, where those people are. You've mentioned your father quite a few times. I'm still trying to prove to you I'm worthy. Yeah. <laughs> He's had a big impact on... How do you see his role in who you are today? It's a huge role. You know... Um, it's funny, I mentioned my father a lot, but I, I'm going to first say something about my mother. May Allah bless them both. I mean, my, my mother, no doubt, has been the core of my family. She has been the one to make sure that we stick together. And she's had her, her own major challenges. Um, I remember one evening when I was 18 years old. Uh, around 10 p.m., somebody knocking on the door. And my father said, that's the police. I'm like, what? And it was, it was a police officer. And he walked in, he goes, Mr. Sayed, uh, my father, he said, can I come in? He said, yeah. He goes, can I sit down somewhere? He said, yeah. He goes, um, your wife has had a horrific accident and she's had head injuries. And I was like, okay, for a police officer to come to my house and tell us that, that's not good. We drove to Whittington Hospital, which is near Holloway Road. And on the way, I saw the car, our car, which had my sister, my two cousins and my mother, destroyed. And my father said, is that our car? And I said, no, because I didn't have the courage to tell him that your wife was in that car. We went to the hospital and they weren't sure if she was going to make it. And she had to have a lot of surgery, plastic surgery. And they said for up to a week, particles of glass were coming out of her body. That's just one story. And I'm not even going to share the other stories. But the strength she showed to come out of that physically, mentally... Is one part So And we, You know we, We've not talked about Giving birth to a child You know Right So Core of the family my, my father Was the first one To leave his home Leave his country Come here uh, Look after his brothers Set them up Set us up And uh, Being one of the first generation Leaders so to speak Within our community Um I kind of think I was always trying to take the the Banton from him, right? And say, look, I'm going to do it now. 
But it was very hard to take the alfie. Mm, it's still carrying it. <laughs> because you know, right? The, mm. That generation's like, no, no, no. You, you, you don't know how to do this, son. I'll do this. Right? I'll do this. Just yesterday, I was trying to fix my son's Batman bike mm. in the garden because uh, the weather's nice. Everyone's buying bikes, and my father saw and he came. He said, "Move away, son. Let me <laughs> let me do this." So you're right. There is a little bit like you know, in my kind of respectful way, say to my father that, "Chill, I got this." Mm. Going back to uh, you saying, you know, you changed the way what your priority was in life and then that obviously i'm guessing changed your profession how did that come about yeah i mean uh, i uh, before that profession i think it's important to raise mustafa that you know and unfortunately i um, had to go through the process again of burying our second child wow um this was how long after the first one Three years so anika uh, zara was born and again within these three years i'm guessing you went to the hospital to do tests to see if you're okay your wife yeah okay, we did we, we had done all of the uh necessary checks yeah the previous sort of like screening and tests and samples of what rehana bars had and you know even after nick had was born and nick was born we did further tests and she was absolutely fine and we were overjoyed alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. So this we, was now three years later you're thinking alhamdulillah i'm blessed now with a daughter blessed with a daughter and um it, it was very strange because um she got a high temperature and uh we thought it's just a bit of a cold and flu and uh, we gave some you know meds and stuff and it wouldn't go down and even when we went to the local hospital i wasn't really concerned until they couldn't identify what this high temperature was and we ended up at great Ulm street hospital and um <clears throat> they said that uh, not to worry she'll need some chemo how old is she here three and a half months um she needs a bone marrow transplant but inshallah she'll be fine and i was like okay cool so my wife was there for three and a half months every day and again I w- the bank was very supportive i was off work they said do not come back and i was like wow like that's unheard of in a bank environment right you know they were about bottom line make money you're not here to make money see you later bye but I, again I, I had a very good boss and um i would go in every day and it was the cycle again uh, of speaking to consultants getting reassurance looking at the chemo the chemo was horrific mustafa like it changed her parents so much like really i was concerned that this this isn't looking like my door anymore they said look we have to it's we're fighting this i was like okay um and um the nurses would say you know look go with your wife go for a walk this that and my wife said no i'm not leaving my child and so the, 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 just the strain of every day speaking to consultants making sure you're on top of everything making sure that anika zara is okay making sure your wife's okay coming home your mum and dad asking like what's going on and it was very draining very draining at times i i don't know how i had the strength and um we were on the verge of getting a bone marrow transplant and um 
Mustafa, we uh, we got the call to say we, we need to speak to you, and I, I went there, and they said uh, your daughter is um, had an infection and she's not going to fight this infection. And I knew where the conversation was going, but I didn't want to hear it. And they were like, we're going to switch the oscillator off in a few hours. So call whoever you want to call. And um, <clears throat> I've done these a few times now, Mustafa, right? I've done it wherever I get asked to talk about. And um, after I do these calls, I, I'm not going to lie. I go home and I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm whacked. Because Alhamdulillah, you know, uh, on a side note, my name Hasnain is, my father said, it's a very powerful name. So you will be tested. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think m- maybe that's part, part of the test. And But there is no doubt that God has given me the strength because I, I believe as a human being, it's impossible to deal with these things. That's why I'm so, so keen to drive about faith. And so uh, we, 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 the machine was switched off and uh, I, witnessed, I witnessed my daughter dying. I witnessed my daughter dying. I witnessed her complexion, her weight. And your question about where, where did that take me? So, I, I mean, <clears throat> burying Anika was way harder because all that was going through my head while I was burying her was how she died. Rehan had passed away in his sleep, so I didn't see that, right? But I witnessed my daughter dying, Mustafa. So like, as I'm burying... So I've already done the burial of Rehan Abbas. I'm burying my daughter, and that was okay, in a weird kind of way, that, yeah, I'm going to bury her. But as I'm burying Anika Zara, all that was going through my mind is witnessing her death. And so when I was burying... I didn't want, when I buried Anika Zara, I did not want to leave the grave. I was like, you might as well just bury me so yeah I mean uh, your, your question about wh- where did I go from there and so Graham Street Hospital had done some incredible for me the nurses like the love and affection they gave to to my to our children was unbelievable and I thought I'm going to uh, try and do something different uh, I, I started doing some community events just because I felt like a, a bit, maybe proved to my father, but a little bit like, you know, oh, I'm going to try and give back in some ways. And uh, I also started to do some intervention work. Um, one of my cousins, Said Nan Jafri, uh, unfortunately had a brain tumour, passed away at the age of 32, was uh, working with a school in Wembley called uh, uh, John Kelly Boys. It's now, I think, called Crest Academy. And we opened up some classrooms to help... Uh, young individuals improve their grades the GCC grades through uh, maths and English and uh, inspiring them through different speeches and play sports with them uh, three months before the GCC exams and so I started doing all these things voluntarily but it was starting to push me towards that direction and I also became an ambassador for Graham Street Hospital for some of the uh, I started running Uh, I hated running I thought, <laughs> let's do something that's going to push me. And running helped me escape from everything as well, in some ways, because it, it was time alone with me and God. And so I used that as a motivation. And I started raising money for Great Elm Street Hospital. So I had an affection there, an attachment there. I had attachment with the youth because we didn't have any children. 
So I used to think they're my kids, Mustafa. Every single one of those children, they're, they're my kids, right? So I'm going to help them. And um, I did that for a, a number of years. Breathe. What 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 does that word mean to Hassanin? It's interesting you asked me that question because uh, and I, I like the concept of finding a unique word. It's very simple. Rehan Abbas was told that he is going to pass away through respiratory failure. So his lungs are going to give up. And part of the reason I started running Mustafa was because it, it's about mastering your breathing. Mm. And not just in running, it's with many things. Like even when you do yoga or even when you're told that you're, you know, tense, just calm down. Breathe. Breathe. My Apple Watch sometimes reminds me. Too. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> A bit <laughs> to too many breathe. times these days. <laughs> But because my, my son lost his breathing, every single moment of my life, I remind myself that, God, if you've allowed me to breathe one more time, I'm very fortunate. But with that time that I have, what are you going to do? So, yeah, that's why I use the word breathe. Again, I repeat, I will never understand the, how one can handle losing a second child. Something that comes to mind would be, why me? That's just me. The first, you know, when you first, when I first had the story, and now even European, did that ever cross your mind? Plenty of times. I, you know, we we hear of the the word karma. Yeah, you, you know, you do something good, good happens to you. You do something bad, something bad happens to you. So first, I used to think I must have done a lot of bad things. Because why am I burying two kids? Mm. So I went through that process. I also went the process that I'm not good enough. This is in God's eyes. Mm. I'm not good enough. Because <clears throat> I was getting told Mustafa at the time, you know, inshallah you'll be with them again and you'll be reunited. They are innocent, they are pure. And yes, from a faith perspective, I, I got it. But as a human, I was struggling. And that's no different to any human being. Some days we wake up and think, yeah, we're going to do this. We got this. Other days we wake up and think, yeah, Allah, just, you know, <laughs> help me out here, right? That's the the human side. I was just having a conversation with uh, somebody a, f a few days ago talking about that how doing these podcasts in a way for me has been a bit selfish, if I be honest, because it's allowing me to talk about <coughs> things I haven't really spoken about. And in one way, I believe every single one of us needs some form of counselling. You know, I spoke to you about this as well. So when you say why me, many times. But I was again fortunate enough to, you know, we have all different layers inside us, right? That's this is how I work. We have different layers, and depending on who you're with and how comfortable you are, we show different layers. With your wife, you know, maybe you know, depending on your relationship, there's it's probably a bit bit deeper. With somebody you meet for the first time, it's maybe here because that's just the way we work. I feel if you can remove those layers and 
just be yourself, then you're in a good place in the world. Because it's always about trying to give the perception. Again, it's about how comfortable are you being you. So when you say, why me? Yeah, that was asked many times. But because I had enough belief, it would overcompensate the, the doubt mm. to, to spread. And that's why I would say for anyone listening that this is a great example. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm great, but like my example of even though I questioned and I had doubt and I had days where I was struggling, I had enough inside me to hold on to my faith. Now, faith, I don't know, it works differently for different people. Some people, it, it builds over time. Other moments, it could be one click of a moment of one incident and it's changed you. Mm. I don't know. But for me, I think my children actually reassured my faith eventually. How did you get into uh, being an ambassador for Great Ormond Street and how did that come about? And how did that help you with what you've been through? Yeah, so I, I, I started... Uh, um, I, I started raising money through different community events. Uh, generally, it was cricket because Asians love cricket, free food, you know. And beautiful. It, beautiful. And, uh, you know, everyone's, uh, you know, you ask them, like, can you play cricket? Yeah, you know, I'm an all-rounder. I score 100 <laughs> runs. I take 10 wickets. Everyone's an expert. Everyone's, everyone's an a expert. professional. <laughs> the professional. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what kind of scores we used to get on the day, but they weren't that high. <laughs> but we, we, we then actually started to get some things for kids, like Bouncy Castle and just a uh, jumble sale and, you know, just to make it a family gathering. And what it made me realize was that if you can get the youth to start to engage, that charity isn't a burden. It's not something you do 50 years down the line because mm. you think I need to give back. It should be a way of life. Allah, beautiful. Right? Yeah. And if they can enjoy that moment, then you know what? They'll do it in the future. So a lot of the children that start to come to cricket matches, they've already said, oh, Uncle Asnan, you know, when can we take over? We want to do this. So again, it's about how you get people involved. You know, if uh, you know, I, I remember every time my dad's like, "Have you prayed? Have you prayed?" And I'm like, oh, "Dad, I'll pray." Like, mm. it's different to like, you know, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'll let you get on with it, and you pray when you want to pray, yeah, because it's not forced then. And so I um, reached out to Graham Street Hospital, and I said, "Look, you know." I, I want to raise some money for you guys. And they said, oh, we got different activities. And they said, one of them's marathon. I was like, no, 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 no forget that. <laughs> forget that. I'm not running, mate. <laughs> I'm not running. But I'd started doing a little bit of running before. I'm that. an Asian <laughs> that loves my curry. I'm not yeah, running. Yeah, exactly. And, but I, I'd started doing a little few jogs here and there for myself. And then I thought, oh, maybe this is like a bit of a calling. I don't know. And uh, I, I started running marathons for them. And um, I... How many marathons have you done now? Six. Wow, yeah, amazing. Yeah, don't ask me if I'm gonna do any more right now in this condition. I think, I was struggling from Hangar Lane Station to get here, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. Um, and as I was raising money, and how many months of training, by the way, is this? This is a yeah, it's a good question. So, if the usually the marathon's in April, so you well, I would have to start in October. Wow. Because it's not like uh, you know you condition yourself over a few runs. Um, you would do twenty minute run to begin with, uh, two miles a mile, and then from two you go to five, five you go to seven, seven you go to nine, and my kind of break off point would be around sixteen to eighteen miles, 
and this would be three weeks before the marathon, you do your longest run. Which is around 16 miles. 16 to 18 miles. And the reason you do that is that psychologically you know that you've done 18, 16 miles. So that at least on the marathon day, you know you're going to do 16, 18 miles. Because again, it's about experience, right? Marathon's 20... 6.2. 26 miles. Okay. Yeah, 26.2. Everyone forgets that point two. Point two. That point, that two, point <laughs> two is the killer. It's that point two that... <laughs> Mustafa, uh, can I just say for everyone listening, please, please, if someone asks you to do a marathon, always say 26.2. When you say 26, <laughs> that's offensive. Because yeah. <laughs> that point two... <laughs> the hardest part. <laughs> it's the hardest. So it's 26.2 miles. And um, it will give you the confidence three weeks before the marathon to say, okay, I, I've done 16 miles, so bismillah, I'm going to do 16 miles. And after that, you know, by the will of God, like, you know. That last 10. Uh, last, and usually the crowd are amazing. You know, they don't know you, but usually people have their names on their T-shirts and all these random people saying, come on, cause you can do it. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll do it for about five minutes and so I'm dead again. They're like, come on, cause yeah. <laughs> And then it, you'd finish. And so, yeah, you, you start in October and you'd probably run about 300 miles wow. collectively before you run the 26.2 miles. What's your record, the timing of the, the marathon? You know, I have an auntie who said to me, who has no idea about marathons. marathons. And she said, son, if you didn't finish first, then I'm offended. I said, don't worry, auntie, <laughs> I finished first, right? Because I wasn't going to explain to yeah. her. <laughs> I'm not being any Kenyan, right? Or somebody like that, <laughs> Ethiopian, right? So uh, my best time is 4.30. 4.35, I think, to me. And my slowest time is about 5.20. Five, that's five hours, 20 minutes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but again, it's about experience. When I did my first one, I went gung-ho. I was like, yeah, I could do this. Last 10 miles, I was finished, right? Wow. And then I started slower. But as I started slower, it built up momentum to go faster at the end. And again, it's, it's about experience in life. In your life, whatever experiences you have, it conditions you to do better and I can use that as a marathon example when I first did my first marathon mm. I was terrible by the time I did my fifth six I was much better because of my experience conditioning learning from what happened before and you know doing better at it. and that's life if you think about it in your experiences you can either say why me oh I feel sorry for myself or I, I can't deal with this or the, you know, this this is not fair because so-and-so's life seems to be so much better. No, that's not your life. But if you can take that and twist it to make it like, okay, this has happened. For next time, I'm going to make sure that... So, yeah, it's um, it was a great experience on different levels. How important is giving back to you? Um, because that's something that you do a lot now. And uh, how has that helped you... Um, to stay uh, mentally in a state where you say, oh Allah, thank you for the test that you've given me. Yeah, it's a beautiful question, Mustafa. I think um, the more I do for others, I do for myself. Mm. And uh, to elaborate on that is that fundamentally it's about what fulfills you in life. What empowers you? And every time somebody reaches out to me or I feel I can reach out without trying to make it look like, oh, I'm better than you, because it's not about that. It's about experiences. I just feel it makes me feel life is worth living. And I only have to take my own example to say that, I think last year they actually put up a, uh, a plaque for Rehana Bas and Anika Zara in Great Om Street Hospital for, for one of their uh, infectious diseases rooms. 
and it's just got their name on it. It's nothing else. But just seeing that plaque there in the hospital blows my mind, Mustafa, because I'm thinking, I never imagined 10 years ago that by me running and... It wasn't like, you know, and this is, I'm not mentioning the money here to brag, but I'm just giving an example about. Yes. So we re- I've raised about £100,000 for Graham Street Hospital. Nobody gave me I mean, a cheque for £100,000. Yeah, of course. It was, it was £5 here, £10 here. Because they, they were, they, firstly, they were loving, caring people who, who loved me. And I thank all those people in my life. But it was the fact they, they held on to a story. Mm. And just these small small amounts i mean this is a great opportunity to like talk about for our mosques who like struggle to get money right yeah yeah which they're all they're all good at that <laughs> don't think right you need to ask for a million pound ask for this just get people to be emotionally attached to just give regularly and you watch you won't get a million you'll get 2 million pounds mm. but that's the problem we think that so no one gave me a, a check of 100,000 pound and i remember going to the hospital they did a check presentation and all these things were happening in my life and I'm thinking, subhanAllah, like, God, like, I, how? When? How did I become an ambassador for Graham's Hospital? How did I run six marathons? How did I end up being involved with, uh, you know, the hospital as an ambassador? And uh, so I've been ambassador for about 10 years. Um, I got reached out, funnily enough, after my documentary, a, a woman from Graham Street Hospital, she said, I watch your doc and I really want you to come speak to, they have an evening of thanks Mm. Uh, over Christmas, December time, and uh, I I spoke to a hundred parents, Mustafa, who'd lost a child. Wow. And I was the only Muslim there, but it's not because I was a Muslim. It was just I think being a Muslim it was also an opportunity to say that look, you know, we're, we're all in this together. We're human beings, and I'd lost two. And uh, you know, whenever I get asked to come and do, you know, go around the country, speak to parents, I, I always go because I'm like if. Anything I can say to make you just understand a little bit better, it's my duty. So your question about how I feel it's what I live for. And, you know, even now I, I work for a, I never thought I'd work for a charity. And, you know, I'm working for the biggest Muslim charity in the world, Islamic Relief. And, you know, I head up their major gifts and corporates. So I, I deal with their high net worth donors and uh, just listening to their stories. And, you know, when I used to work in private banking in the bank, it was all about like, how are you going to make money for off my money, right? Mm. But now these donors are like, you know, look, I'm giving you a donation. I want to feel empowered. So being part of that empowerment and inspiring is, is, I feel like I'm very blessed to be able to do a job where I'm giving back in some way. So I live for giving back. I live for trying to just, and it's not I know better and my life is better than yours or whatever. It's just to say that, look, this is my experience. Even now, some of the students who are on the, it was called the one degree intervention that Nan Jaffrey did. And again, I, I love the concept. He believed in a slight change of angle today brings you a better tomorrow. That's why it's called one degree. Great concept. Love it. And even now, I, I, some of the students who were students at the time, uh, they're married or they've got kids and they, they reach out to me and say like, uh, you know, Snad, like, you know, how, like, uh, how do you sleep when you've got kids, man? Like, they, you know, they, they give you, and I'm like, look, you know, this is what I do. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, no problem. So yeah, with 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 you know, I know we've been talking about you know a journey of over years, which we've tried to speak about and summarize and give just an overview in a few minutes. You know, from from what I, from what you're saying, you know, you've taken something that is perceived to be negative and turned it into something that's so positive, um, and that's amazing. 
you know that that in itself is something that I'm sure our listeners, our viewers can can take on board because everyone faces different challenges. Right. Everyone faces different tests. Yeah. Um, you faced not once but twice two tests that you know others might have maybe gone towards that taking that negative and made it even more negative and i don't know yeah yeah each person but subhanallah you've taken that and then you you've done all all all, all the all the positive work that you did and you're still doing what advice how how, how do you how do you continue uh, you know i know uh, yeah it's uh it's, it's again it needs probably a whole, <laughs> a whole hour podcast how do you continue uh, i mean look get out of bed first that's the first thing i'd say <laughs> it's the hardest part <laughs> yeah it's you need to identify inside you what your core values are that's the first thing the reason I say that is that before you think about continuing, you have to say, what are you standing for? What is your purpose? What is your identity? Not everyone's going to think, oh, how do you want to be remembered? But people are going to remember you regardless, somewhere along the line. So how are those people going to remember you? It's, it's a really hard question, Mustafa, because you can't just... You know, put it into certain pieces and say, like, okay, if you do that, then you're off your journey. And if you're not, then you're going to yeah. fall down. But I, I would really say that you have to stand for something. You can't just plod along thinking that things are going to just happen. So because I, I decided that I'm going to give back and I'm going to help less fortunate people in some way. God has opened these doors. I haven't done it. I had no idea after burying my children that I'm going to leave banking. People are like, saying, you're mad, like, you know, the amount of money you're making, like your lifestyle. But I was in, in me, I was like, mate, you haven't buried two kids. You don't know. But I, I never used to throw that at them. I was like, you know, that's, this is, I'm doing it because I have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want anyone to go through what I did. But sometimes the hardest, I can say this now today because I'm sitting here in front of you, Mustafa. This same person who's buried two children say, Alhamdulillah, I'm in a good place, bro. And if people want to go in a good place wherever they want to go and they want to continue, every single day is a challenge. Every single day you have obstacles. But you have to, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, man, it's like Popeye with spinach or something, you know, like (laughs) you've got to have your tins of spinach where if you're like slightly dipping, you know, sorry for those who aren't old enough to understand. Do remember Popeye? (laughs) The sailor man Yeah the sailor man But you know You've got to have Your tins of spinach Where you can just Even when you do The marathon right After a while You have to have Just a little bit of water Because you start to dip Why I love the marathon And for those who run They know Mm. that It's over a course Of period Where you are going To war my friend Mm. I, I, I can't explain to you You've got the heat, you've got the crowd. You could be running in a certain posture and feeling comfortable for five minutes and you're the same person who's thinking, man, I don't think I could do it for another two minutes, let alone... Another three hours. Three hours, right? So it's a constant... So the battle's always here. And I always say that illness begins here before it affects your body. So if you can work... And, you know, it's funny you mentioning about, you know, you did a podcast about mental health. And that's that's very important because... We, we kind of always strive to like, I've got to do this. But we forget about ourselves. 
So you say, how do we continue? The first thing I'll say is check yourself. Mm. Then check yourself again. Mm. <laughs> because if you want to help others, you got to be in a good place. So, right? So yeah. I, I use the marathon as a great analogy to, to, my, to my life. Because I'm thinking you, 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 you wake up and you get up and you move. You've got to constantly be moving. You can't stagnate. So I, I probably haven't answered the question no, you, fully, but you know, overview. yeah, I, I just think you've got, to, you've got to hold on to things that are important to you and, work, and strive towards them, no matter what comes your way. The marathon's a great example. I mean, I, I run, but I don't do marathons. I do five kilometers. But even that's a good distance. Yeah, so the five kilometers, which I aim to do when the weather's good, so I do outside, otherwise it's on a treadmill. Uh, which Good. is easy on the treadmill <laughs> but you know some you, you're talking about you know it's, it's all in the mind it's all in the mind because and that's that one thing i do for example if it's on a treadmill or even sometimes if it's on the i i tend not to look at the distance that i've done right because when you start looking at the distance you just want it and like it's not moving yeah you yeah, know yeah. so I, I i i try and cover it i put a towel or something to try and cover yeah. the, the distance but then i'll try and look take a yeah, peek after yeah. like i've run a lot you know i, I just want to sorry I, i'm conscious of time but i just wanted to share a quick story yeah, about, please, about please. the cycle you know the mind and the psychology of it when i was doing the marathon Obviously, it's a very eventful day. People are all raising money for different causes, some emotional, some just for their parents or just because they want to do some of a charity. And then there's people dressed in outfits, right? Yeah, yeah, Loads. Yeah, you watch other news, right? So I, I remember there was a rhino. Wow. This, this, it's a heavy outfit. They've got this, literally this section here and this guy's running in this heavy outfit. And I've looked and I'm like, man, like respect. Okay. So I've overtaken him and... About 20 minutes time, right? I see the rhino. Again. Again. <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> Mustafa, I was like, okay, am I running this slow? <laughs> or, or is he or, running that fast? Or is that guy running fast? Okay, so I was, I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overtake this guy. I'm Again. gone, right? Hour later. No way. Wallahi, rhino. <laughs> He's so, cheating. <laughs> so I'm now I'm thinking, Hasnan, like forget finishing you can't even overtake this rhino <laughs> somewhere along the line this rhino is doing it anyway it happened about five six times then I, I stopped i thought okay forget him you need to finish the marathon that is your aim here forget the rhino forget the rhino i finished i'm a bit emotional it's my first i think about my son they give me a medal there's an area you go and relax and i see the rhino guy <laughs> so i'm like i've got to go and i've got to speak to this guy because respect this guy's beating me all the way through the marathon with that outfit. I'm rubbish, yeah? I've gone to him, I said, mate, listen, I've got to ask, man, like, are you like a triathlon or like an ultra runner or do you go around the world? And yeah. he said, what are you talking about? I said, every time I saw you, yeah. you overtook me. And he started laughing. I go, what are you laughing at? He goes, look, there's a group of us, about 15. <laughs> <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make here is it's all in the mind, dude. Yeah, yeah, it's right? all in the mind. <laughs> You're thinking this rhino is faster yeah. than me. There's 15 of them. <laughs> Everyone's got to think about that rhino story. Absolutely. So it has an in. Obviously, I want to ask. Alhamdulillah. Now you have a uh, a beautiful family. How many children? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I have, I have uh, two children. Hania Fatima, she's seven years old, and Hashim Abbas, he's four years old. Mashallah. May Allah bless them. I mean, thank may you. May they 
always make you happy. Thank you. And may they make you proud just like you wanted to make your parents proud. Inshallah, I'm still trying. Let's see. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, mashallah, bro. It's, it's, I, I can't believe we've done an hour. Wow. It felt like, literally, I'm not lying. It felt like we've done a few minutes. Yeah. But subhanAllah, um, I hope and pray. And I'm sure, actually, but again, I pray that your uh, podcast will inspire people uh, to overcome or try and overcome their different challenges and tests and maybe take up running or, or marathon <laughs> if if we get 10,000 views on this podcast would you do another marathon <laughs> i listen if i knew i was going to be stitched up like this I, <laughs> i would never have turned up inshallah okay inshallah, inshallah if, if if you get 10,000 views I'll, i'll do another marathon inshallah, inshallah. so <laughs> guys share this with everyone let's get 10,000 views And let's get let's get Sayyid Hassan in to, to do another marathon. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mustafa. Uh, thank, thank you for, for inviting coming. me. It's really a pleasure to see you. And I, I pray for all those who are listening and watching that may Allah make it easy for them and give them patience during their difficult times. Ah, Okay.